1: But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project
0: handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just
1: a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A N G I. Or download the app today. Welcome to a weekend bonus episode of the Tech Meme Right Home. I'm Brian McCullough. Y'all know Dan Fromer, veteran tech journalist. We're going to do a WWDC preview here today. But before that, and actually for most of the episode, Dan has his own excellent newsletter called The New Consumer. Sign up for it in the show notes. Link to the free and paid editions there. Because this is the beat that Dan covers so well. Before we get into the WWDC discussion and the Apple stuff, we have a lengthy discussion of the whole consumer unicorn startup space that I don't think we cover enough on this show. Please enjoy this conversation with the great Dan Fromer. Like uh, consumer startups are sort of outside the remit of tech meme, you know, because it's sort of like Gabe is always like, well, if it's not tech, uh, we're not going to cover it. And a lot of the direct to consumer stuff is, is not tech, it's just consumer products. But, um, in the interest of covering the startup scene and all of its guises, um, you've been writing a lot about some of these consumer unicorns as they were, um, so let's let's start by talking about that. It, Harry's just got bought by um what is it, Edgewell Personal Care uh for one point three billion dollars. You noted that um for the whole slate of big consumer unicorns, um, there haven't been a lot of these big purchases so far. Like it's been three years since Dollar Shave Club got taken out. Why why do you think that is? It's interesting
0: because they're not really most of them are not tech companies. Um but they use technology in a way that most legacy consumer startups or just brands in general did not. Um in in kind of all facets of their business, in marketing, in um in research, in development of products, uh in uh di- you know distribution and how they run their warehouses, in how they order their packaging. There's a lot of technology that goes into it. And I think I wonder if that's what has especially the marketing component because they rely so heavily on, especially at the beginning, like on Facebook and Instagram ads. I wonder if that's what has gotten the technology VCs so into it because that's what I, you know, one of the kind of big questions is, should these companies be valued as technology companies or as like, you know, diaper companies Correctly. or shaving companies? Um, and the difference is, is pretty profound. You know, you can have a, a software a subscription software company that's valued at 30 times its revenue and uh, a consumer packaged goods company that's valued at like three to five times its revenue. Um, so that's a big difference. And, uh, and that's where, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, the, 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 the Silicon Valley VCs, even the many of the big name firms that were, you know, very typically invested in software and, um, technology hardware, you know, sometime in the last five to 10 years, all of a sudden started writing checks to these kind of new consumer companies. There are a lot of, there's a lot of jargon for these types of companies. I I tend not to use any of it. Uh, I don't, I don't find it valuable, so I'm not going to use any of it here either. Um, and I think perhaps they saw the direct to consumer model as something unique to the internet era and the internet consumer. And therefore, um, you know, and and obviously the, the, the growth of Amazon and some, and, and maybe eBay and Google as kind of, um, you know, large commerce facilitators, I think maybe, maybe they thought that those companies would either be acquirers or, you know, would, would finance a lot of these companies, um, Obviously, haven't really seen much of that. Amazon has made some some acquisitions, but not nothing crazy. Uh, you know, the, the, probably the the thing that Amazon bought is Twitch, right? And that's the thing that, that is not a much of a, a, a consumer product company.
1: Well, they did buy um, what? What's the router company? Uh, uh, Eero. They did. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Eero. But that's their... more of a technology yeah, yeah, yeah. company,
0: and that kind of fits into their broader platform. Strategy. Well, you know what?
1: I, you know what? Maybe we should. Uh, We should clarify, like we're we're talking about like the the Warby Parkers, the Caspers, Glossier, Away, Um, and and so. What you're essentially saying is that all that the the thing that differentiates them is maybe it's they're in in every case it's like um, it's a it's a sector that has a lot of old established players and all that all that these companies tend to do is just come in with the best practices of the modern era in terms of launching lean and launching viral and social and things like that. And 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 that's basically their differentiator.
0: Pretty much. I mean, you know, in some cases, the product is better. And I think, and, you know, in, and obviously, in some cases, the, the market they're entering is just so corrupt and messed up. Like, I think Warby Parker has been so fortunate, and and has executed so well. But They truly did inherit a really a market that was really dominated by these big old kind of not really great companies. So uh, a lot of them are not. And 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 Warby Parker came at it with a pretty decent product. Um, It's definitely not the highest end glasses you can buy. And you know if you look at a lot of these companies, they're not making actually the best product. Um, Some of them are actually making really good products, but. A lot of them are just saying, hey, we're going to build new brands that are relevant to modern consumers, you know, probably typically a younger audience that that buys things differently because they spend more time on Instagram stories than they spend watching network television. Uh, I made that stat up, but it's definitely true for me. <laughs> right. I assume it's true for, uh, true for a lot of people. Um, you know, and, and then the question is like, okay, is that enticing enough for tech VCs to actually get involved? and? and some of them and a lot of them have um you know and they found some early success with dollar shave club uh which was you know the first billion dollar deal. And I, you know, the chart I posted in this story, uh, this one story we're talking about is free, so everyone can go look at it. But it was basically um, why, you know, why there have been so few billion dollar acquisitions for, for consumer brands. The chart I made is semi trolley where it's basically just um, Dollar Shave Club as the one acquisition. Um, and that was like two weeks before the Harry's deal happened. So I think that also got a lot of people excited um, because the, the, the company that backed Uh, Dollar Shave Club initially is called Science and those the the people who founded Science are are, you know one of them used to run Myspace like they're they're people who are in the Silicon Valley kind of upper echelon of of personalities so I think that may have also gotten a lot of VCs thinking oh why am I not investing in these companies should I be investing in these companies Um, anyway so uh, long story short not really technology companies, but have enough of a connection, and ha- many of them have been founded by technology industry people. That there's this weird overlap, um, and that's where I think there's going to be a, an interesting disconnect. Uh, and initially, you know, there there had only been one billion dollar deal. Now there's a second one, though it has not closed and might not close. So we'll see if that. Oh, ever- I didn't know that. Yeah, it's not going to. They, they they projected a closing time in in like nine months. So you know, a lot can go wrong or right in that period that would that would change the the outcome. Um, and that's why it's such a risky deal for both sides because nine months in the future of of Harry's is you know potentially another thirty percent growth and nine months in the future of Edgewell is like, okay, we know that these two young guys are going to come and take over the company someday, maybe, but what happens in the meantime? Like, do we keep, do we keep pushing the story about these brands that we don't know is is going to be the same story we're pushing in a year? Um, so anyway, so that's, that's a digression, but that's an interesting thing that, that, that I don't think got enough attention is the fact that that deal was announced, but it has not happened yet, and you know has not certainly has not closed. And a lot of things could happen between now and then that that would dictate uh, the outcome.
1: Well, and you're specifically talking about the the Harry's deal. Uh, Edgewell is the parent company of Schick of razors or whatever. And and so in that particular case, a lot of the writing about it was like, it was almost an aqua hire in the sense that Edgewell wanted these two young guys to come in. And essentially, like the idea was, is they're going to reinvent the company and reinvent how we do business for the 21st century, right?
0: That's probably like one of two or three main points for sure, is that the the, the you know, the two guys who who created and who have been running Harry's are now going to take over this portfolio of legacy brands, including like Banana Boat and Chic and, uh, you know, some other ones. Um, I think Banana Boat, maybe it's, it's one of those, uh, some, sun, some block brands. Um, that's the, that was definitely a, a big part of it. The other big part of it is that Harry's wants to, it, it, Harry's figured out at some point, okay, well, we got to be more than just Harry's because we raised all this money and, you know, the razor market is, is pretty big and can be a pretty good business, but is not, you know, is not the, uh, the, the, the only goal of this company anymore. Um, they, they kind of have this idea that they figured out a platform and a repeatable playbook almost of creating brands. So they're, they they want to create a lot of brands and you, you know, you can see your interviews where they're like talking about pet care. Um, the, the second brand they started is called Flamingo and it's basically Harry's for women, um, you know, slightly different product mix. But uh, so the question is, can they repeat that, that, um, that model, you know, indefinitely with, with brands from other, uh, you know other industries, and the answer is we don't know. Um, but perhaps they'll be able to do it more successfully with edge wells uh, financing their R and D capabilities, their distribution relationships with drugstores, and because Harry's Harry's started as direct consumer, but eventually moved into Walmart and Target, which are you know very big. Uh, points of sale for them now, but they have not moved into, you know, five thousand Walgreens and CVSs and that kind of stuff. So that, that that's what that was kind of part two of, of the deal. Um and I don't, you know, whatever part three is is probably not that interesting.
1: Well but. the um the so the other thing that these all uh, share, sort of, in their DNA, you just made me think of it, is You used to come up with a product and then fight to get shelf space on Walmart and Target and stuff like that. But so it is this sort of direct to consumer thing where, you know, a lot of them, it is subscriptions as a business model. But is it maybe, maybe this is the tech angle. Is it the modern way to build a brand is, Oh, I need new glasses. I'm going to go open my Warby Parker app on my phone, right? And maybe that's what a lot of these companies are seeing as well. And maybe that's what these acquirers are seeing is like it's that new it's that new distribution channel, that new way of doing business that these companies maybe can teach.
0: I think that's where it started for sure. Uh and maybe it's not so much I'm gonna open the Warberry Parker app, but I'm gonna hear about it on enough podcasts and I'm gonna see enough Instagram ads and maybe I like the creative that they're making so I'm (laughs) gonna follow them organically um, that, that got the first wave of customers. But the truth is that as these companies have gotten bigger and as there have become more of them and as more of them have gotten bigger, that doesn't work anymore. Uh, it, it gets too expensive to keep acquiring new customers that way. This is something you hear them complaining about all the time. Mm. So, so they've had to go into different, different models. Um, Warby Parker has decided that it's going to become a, a giant retail chain. I think it's, you know, it's approaching a hundred stores now in, across the U S and Canada. And that is how it's decided to grow its business uh, to kind of hit the next level of growth. Uh, Harry's, moved into Target and and Walmart and they did it differently and they actually did it very successfully. And one of the interesting things is if you actually go back and look at old Edgewell earnings calls, you'd see the CEO or the CFO kind of complimenting Harry's on how they've done this stuff way before, you know, before the deal was announced. Um, and what I've heard uh, and seen in these reports is basically that Harry's didn't just move into target and walmart and sell a bunch of razors they actually got more people to buy razors at target and walmart than were buying razors before they grew the whole category because of you know because of what because of their brand maybe because of the products maybe because of the clever way that they were marketing uh and, and and um merchandising in the store probably all those things and Uh, and so that's kind of the goal is like, how can we, how can we use these brands and the, the storytelling? And, and by the way, some of it's just as simple as like the Harry's guys know how to set up an e-commerce website. That's way better than most big CPG companies can set up an e-commerce website. It's just going to work better. It's going to, because that's a, a kind of native skill of, of customer experience that, that tends to be a lot easier when you're a startup. It's not easy, but it's definitely easier when you're a startup than when you're part of a huge company that requires eight, 80 different departments to sign off before you can switch CMS vendors.
1: Well, is, so for all of these uh, unicorn companies, is, is the play to, get acqu- to to make enough noise that you get acquired by one of the legacy brands or, or companies in your space? Or can like a, a Warby Parker and a Casper go public eventually?
0: I think that's what we're going to see a lot of over the next two or three years and in the first piece I kind of address like why hasn't why haven't there been more of these deals. The answer is that the companies haven't needed to sell yet. Uh, There's still a lot of venture and late stage private equity financing that they can raise on the private markets. You just saw that with away. Yeah, right. uh, the travel company, they just raised, I don't know, like a hundred fifty, two hundred million dollars or something like that. Um and uh and let me pull that up here. Yeah. Um from
1: uh <laughs> well. Uh, I, I I vouch for it. I read the I read the piece, but I don't have it in front of me either.
0: Yeah, okay. A uh, hundred million. Um anyway. So there's money out there but all these companies especially the ones that have raised traditional venture capital are on a ticking time horizon of you know around 10 years and um and so they're going to have to either someone's going to have to buy out their first investors or they're going to have to go public or they're going to have to be acquired or they're going to have to get profitable and start paying out dividends or whatever it is and so i think we'll see more Motion there over the next couple of years than we have over the last couple for sure, um, but there you know a lot of these companies when they start getting into the multiple billion valuations like there are not a ton of acquirers out there so it looks like Warby Parker and if you listen to the Warby Parker founders talk they don't want to get bought. They certainly don't want to get bought by one of the big evil glasses companies, which, by the way, merged and are now trying to integrate themselves. Like, that's the last thing those guys want. They want to run this company for a long time. Um, but they're also, you know, they're special entrepreneurs and they, uh, they they seem to actually really care about what they're doing as opposed to flipping a company. Um, so, and by the way, I think it'd be great to see some of them stay independent and, and, and they'll probably end up becoming you know, I don't want to say holding companies, but many of them probably will end up owning multiple brands. Yeah. Certainly the, the trajectory that Harry's was on and, and I, could Harry's have realistically gone public in the next few years? Like I'd say there's, a, there was a chance, but it wasn't a huge, it wasn't a huge likelihood that their next five brands would have been huge hits and, you know, propelled them to become a $10 billion independent a public company i think that there's still a lot of risk in in that model so away is one that seems to really want to stay independent they you know they they don't have a ton of of options that i'm aware of but what do i know Um, glossier is another one and 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 if these companies can can build businesses in the multiple hundreds of millions of revenue on, on an annual basis at a good growth rate and be profitable, then sure they can go public if they want to. Um, but most of them can't, and that's where there's a guy um, who his name is Ryan Caldbeck, who I follow on Twitter, who's also done some some really great podcasts. And if if this sector interests you, you should be following him and you should be listening to his old podcast interviews. But he he's talked a lot about um, these. You know this kind of growth of, of small brands or, or micro brands. He's the he's the CEO of a company called Circle Up, which invests in small uh, consumer brands. And you know, the, as people's tastes become more fragmented, and as more people uh, kind of look for personalized options, and everything from you know the flavor of ice cream they want to the toothpaste they use and the laundry detergent they use, whether it's different values that they have or different colors or flavors or, you know, different geographies or whatever it is. Um, It seems like there's going to be like the proportion of brands that are monster huge brands is going to decrease over time and that the portion of brands that are kind of small to medium sized brands will increase. And therefore, you know, the the holding company just looks different. Um, but that changes the landscape for acquisitions too. Maybe, you know, if, if if there's not really a possibility of becoming a, a billion dollar or $5 billion global brand, no one's going to pay that money for you. Um, so anyway, I, I, I won't profess to, uh, the expertise that he has in terms of this, this concept, but I think it's really interesting and I, I see it, I see it in my, in my purchasing for sure.
1: on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. Yahoo Finance.com, the number one financial destination. Yahoo Finance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. With everybody fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Uh, let's let's switch gears real quick to the piece that you did on Instacart. Um, y- your thesis was essentially, if Amazon is trying to build the iPhone of the grocery industry, Instacart is the Android. Just... Um, uh, elucidate on that on that point for us real quick what 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 are you trying to say there
0: yeah and i love this uh, one of the things i love about my this setup at the new consumer is that i can spend you know five days or whatever it was three or four days just reading and learning everything i can about one company instacart and then and then writing about it uh yeah amazon is, is the vertically integrated like big thing that is that is trying to take over the grocery industry they have four or five different ways of of getting into it. They have Amazon fresh. They have Amazon prime. Now they have Amazon go stores. They bought whole foods. Um, they're really going to push to be, you know, the, the brand that, uh, that you order your groceries from. But if you look at the grocery industry, it's like 80% of it is still not Amazon, not, not, uh, Whole Walmart. Things. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, th- this. There are these big and small local grocers that exist and are not going away anytime soon, uh, for many different reasons, including the fact that they have all these points of presence all over the country that um, that need a, a technology platform to run delivery and pickup for, and you know, Instacart is proving to be the one that through you know, I, of course it's not perfect, but through like good to adequate technology and building this labor force and building these relationships with the grocers is kind of taking over. And much like, you know, Apple did not license out iOS, uh, but Android was available for every non Apple handset company to use. It looks like, for most of the big grocery chains and even the small ones, um, Instacart is is becoming their their kind of solution for that.
1: Uh, right, because you can you can either decide to build out the back end yourself or just flip a switch, turn on Instacart, and boom, you have this delivery solution uh, ready made for you.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's it's obviously not that simple, but it's most of these companies are nowhere near capable of building any website, let alone you know a sophisticated ordering system and what's interesting about Instacart is that sitting on top of thousands of stores they can see the metadata of grocery of the grocery industry that no single store chain could ever see and they can use that two ways they can use actually three ways they can use that to the stores they can tell the store hey this product is selling really well at you know either your competitor or in New York you should be aware of that. You might want to stock it at your store. They know a ton about the the consumer, so they could they could over time increasingly personalize your you know what you see on the ordering screen so that your kind of virtual walk around the store is different than everyone else's. But interestingly, they can also have this data and share it with the consumer package good brands, which have basically no data. You know, they get scanner data from from nielsen they get some loyalty card data maybe if the grocery chains want to share it but if you're a huge cpg company you basically don't know much about who your customers are what they're buying when they're buying your product what they're buying it with and instacart is kind of the technology layer that will actually be the first ones that can that can accumulate and share that data so that i find really interesting the long-term it gets fuzzier, and of course you know what's what 's really the point of of trying to draw things out beyond beyond too long you know in the in the ten to twenty year horizon, it certainly makes more sense for instacart to eventually take over more of this operation if it 's going to you know you know that 's at least one scenario where you could say it 's going to be more profitable and more sustainable in the long term as instacart becomes the the preferred brand of, of online grocery shopping for them to start either introducing their own brands the way Amazon has, or, you know, or, or doing other things that, that kind of put them even more in front of the the grocery stores. But they've said at least for the foreseeable future, they have no interest in doing that. They don't want to aggregate anything. They just want to be, uh, you know, good partners to the grocery stores. And really that like for the next 10 years or at least the next five years, like that seems to me like the most logical, kind of path for both of those those industries and we'll see what happens after that you know maybe maybe kroger or one of the big chains will actually get really good at their own technology or maybe instacart will compete with them um and set up its own stores or or who knows but well
1: actually i mean the the thing that your piece made me think was you know instacart could eventually own the experience where this is this is the app i open when i need food and um i don't really care about which grocery store it comes from it's almost like the long 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 term play is that grocers just become glorified fulfillment centers for instacart and instacart actually owns the shopping experience itself
0: yeah that yes that's one that's one plausible kind of future model um but I think a lot of people, you know, I mean, and myself included, I love grocery shopping. It's probably my favorite kind of thing to do. Uh, I mean, not really, but like, I love it. I I, I never want to not go grocery shopping and walk around the store and see what's new. And I know which exact store, I mean, living here in Paris too, there's like 20 stores within three blocks of I me. Mean, I know which store I'm going to go get one thing from and which from another, a little different back home in New York. But um I don't know. And and that's, to me, one of the most interesting things from all this is like, all right, how does the grocery store change? If you're getting your dry goods and your staples on subscribe and save from whether it's Amazon, Walmart, or Instacart, or someone else, Thrive Market, how does the store change its kind of concept? Is it, uh, you know, are there more restaurants in the grocery store? Is it also a co-working space? Is it you know, this is where the Theranos clinics were coming into play too, right? <laughs> oh, we gotta get gotta get sick people in the store. That's how we're gonna drive traffic these days. So um I I don't I don't anticipate massive changes there over the next five five years, but I'm really curious to see, you know, what what the grocery store turns into over that time as well.
1: Before I let you go, um what are you uh looking for at WWDC next week?
0: Yeah, so Apple's Big annual developer conference kicks off Monday. Um, I so this is where they unveil, you know, the latest iOS, the latest macOS, the latest WatchOS. Uh, I this year I'm I'm kind of focusing my curiosity on uh, a small handful of things. iOS 13. I, I bought one of the new iPad Pros uh, last fall and. It, it, half the time, it's just the most incredible portable computer I've ever owned. It's so fast. The battery lasts forever. It's sleek. It's the screen is so gorgeous. But the other half of the time, you just want to throw it through the window because the iOS twelve you know iPad software it just feels like you're on training wheels uh, with like dirty glasses. It's just it's I, I really struggle with it, especially having been using a Mac for I don't know almost thirty years and really feeling super comfortable with with the way macOS works so allegedly ios 13 is going to have some you know some more thoughtful things for the ipad so i'd love to see that um i'm also really curious to see how uh siri and the audio evolution continues uh i'm you know i'm kind of a skeptic as to whether that's going to become the primary user interface for much of anything but uh, it's interesting and I would like you know it's now been I think over a year, maybe even two years since Apple hired away the AI guy from Google. so curious to see if there are any major kind of breakthroughs there on how we navigate uh, the world with our voice and uh, and the Apple watch I, I've worn an Apple watch every day since they launched, except one day where I left it at home and my arm felt crazy all day. Uh, and so seeing that kind of turn into a computer on your wrist that's more powerful has been really interesting. Uh, I, I, am just curious to see how that continues. You know, they've certainly focused more on fitness. Um, but who knows, you know, what, what sort of new things we'll get to see with that. And then AR is probably the like, uh, and that's augmented reality. It's probably the one where that's kind of where things seem to be going, especially with Apple. You know, the, think of the next big hardware platform from Apple. It's probably AI, AR glasses, uh, so they say. Uh, it's easy to imagine some really wacky and, and weird scenarios to use AR. Probably the most creative stuff is happening with Snapchat and Instagram filters right now. Uh, you know, imagine you're wearing glasses and every human you walk by has the Snapchat gender flip filter turned on. Like, all right, that's crazy. So, uh, you know, we're probably still a long ways away from glasses that really cover your whole field of vision and can do that sort of thing. But uh, you start to see little little pieces there. And, and, and Apple is definitely way ahead on AR technology. So, that, And that's the kind of thing that they showcase at WWDC. So those are the things I... I'm going to be looking for. Oh, and also the Apple credit card. But uh, the best part, of course, is when they surprise with things that I was not anticipating. Uh, anticipating. So, who knows if that'll happen or not?
1: Real, real quick. Uh, I think you were at the last Apple event, the the services one, when you know Oprah's there and all that stuff. Um, yes. Just just watching it, it was the weirdest Apple event I can remember. What was it like in the room?
0: Um, it was funny because that. That Steve Jobs Theater is kind of sneakily one of the best uh, movie theaters in the world. The screen and audio there are just the, you know, probably the, the best that money can buy. And so, (laughs) you know, when they would turn on a trailer or, uh, they weren't showing many trailers, but when they would turn on a video or an audio thing, it was just so immersive. It was, it was really unexpected from, you know, no other tech keynote has a, has a sound system or, or a projector like that. So it was pretty cool. Uh, it was definitely one of those things where it, it felt like, especially that Hollywood segment really dragged on and I'm of the camp where it's like, okay, this probably wasn't for me as a tech journalist. as This probably was for Hollywood to show them how serious they are about their partnerships and, you know, really, uh, highlighting their create their, their, that they're buying into their creative work and, and all that stuff. So probably not the target customer for that. Um, it, uh, yeah. And those events are always are always like full of micro micro anxiety and stress and i i was i flew in the night before and was flying out that afternoon so it's never a, a relaxing and peaceful experience for me but it was definitely a little strange this is going to be more uh to formula i think never you know never say never but WWDC tends to be pretty structured in terms of here's iOS, here's Mac OS, here's Watch OS, here's TV OS. Uh, supposedly they'll be showing off or maybe teasing a new Mac Pro, but but there's a lot of stuff to get to and they probably only have a little over two hours. So it, it should probably flow faster and not have, you know, 40-minute Oprah uh, and, you know, other celebrity appearances, the least that I expect.